0: Heavenly Father, we do thank you, we praise you, Lord, for your word. We thank you for your love and your grace. And I pray, Lord, as we look at the calling on Moses' life tonight, I pray if there's anyone in this room, or for many that may be in this room, that just wonder, what what do you have in store for me, Lord? What's the calling you have on my life? And what does it mean to be called by God? I pray, Lord, we would learn and understand the calling of God. And Lord, just to see the example of, of Moses in his heart. Lord, we love you, we praise you, Father, may you be our teacher tonight, in Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, amen. Amen. Um, Mostly, if you're new here, we just go verse by verse through the whole Bible, on Wednesday nights, we're going through the Old Testament, and just to catch up a little bit, last week we looked at Exodus chapter 2, and we saw the birth and protection of Moses in Egypt. Moses is a typology or a picture of Jesus Christ in many ways, in that he was a deliverer, in that he was a, a... going to be a high priest and an intercessor on behalf of the people. We know that his life was threatened in his infancy, much like the life of Jesus Christ. And we know that God used him to deliver many from sin, and, or to, to bridge the gap back to God in the Old Testament sense. We see God's sovereignty last week. We saw his protection of Moses. We saw Moses' parents defy the Pharaoh's command and said, we're not going to honor the Pharaoh, we're going to honor God. We saw him placed in an ark and then Found by Pharaoh's daughter and then raised in Pharaoh's house, even being nursed by his own mother. God's sovereign plan is always better than anything we thought of. Now we also know, though, that Moses had a burden for his people. And because of the burden he has for his people, he took things into his own hands. And instead of doing things God's way, he did it his own way. He saw a Hebrew slave, one of the Israelite people, being, being beaten by an Egyptian. And even though he was a prince and he was an Egyptian, he went down and took vengeance upon the Egyptian and he killed him. And when the word got back to Pharaoh, he had to flee for his life because he had done things according to his own will will instead of God's way. And sometimes we're tempted to do that. We're tempted to do things because maybe we've got gifts or abilities or, or money in the bank or something. We think we can make things happen according to our will. But you know what? Without him, we can do nothing. And we're going to see that tonight. So he kills an Egyptian and he flees, and we saw that he went out into the desert, he met his wife there, he got married last week, they had a child, and then we see at the very end of the text that the Lord heard the crying out of Israel. Israel had been in bondage for 400 years, and during that time now they're crying out to the Lord, and that's where we pick up in chapter 3, and we're going to look at the calling of God. In God's perfect will and sovereignty, he prepares both the messenger and those who to received the message, then he divinely brings them together. So tonight, is what we're going to look at, time willing, we're going to look at the revelation of God's glory to Moses, we're going to see God's calling for Moses, God's calling upon his life, we're going to see Moses' humble response, and that's the only response you can have to God's calling if you're truly going to have the right response. And then lastly, God's clear direction for Moses of his calling and the assurance that God indeed would be with him. So let's take a look, beginning in verse 1, at the revelation of God's glory to Moses. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the back of the desert and came to Horeb in the mountain of God. Now the revelation of God's glory came to Moses as he, as he was faithfully and contently watching over sheep. You have to realize from Moses that from a worldly perspective, this was a huge drop down for him. He had been the prince in Egypt. He was one of the most educated and wealthy men living in one of the most comfortable lifestyles you could possibly live. And yet, what had happened now is that because of his getting in his flesh, he was sent away and he was sent to the school of God, I call it. He was sent out to the desert and he spent 40 years in the desert. It's interesting to note that Moses' life was divided into three different 40s. 40 is a number of what in the Bible? Who remembers? Testing. Testing. First 40 years he spent in privilege as a prince in Pharaoh's court. The second 40 years he spent as a shepherd in the desert. And the third 40 years, he will be the deliverer and the priest of Israel. But each phase of Moses' life was was preparing him for the next one. Each phase of your life as a Christian is preparing you for what God has next for you. Sometimes you have no idea what's coming next. And we don't know what the future holds, but we know who holds the future. Amen? And sometimes we don't know what's coming, but be assured that if you're walking in the center of God's will, he's preparing you for what's next. Because that's how God works. And so in Moses' life, he was educated, he was esteemed, he was in a place of privilege, but he soon found that there was no significance to it. He found it to be empty. And we see a lot of that today. A lot of people, when I was in San Jose, I'd be counseling people and, you know, they're working at a dot-com and their stock finally hit and they've got $3 million in the bank and they're saying, okay. They went out and bought the house and bought the stuff and bought this and bought that and bought this and bought that. Now they're sitting back going, Wait a minute, there's got to be something more. Because you know what, the Bible tells us that our flesh will never be satisfied. And even though he lived in Pharaoh's house and he was a prince in Egypt, Moses knew that something else was, was, was more important. It says in Hebrews 11, By faith Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Esteeming the reproach of Christ greater than riches and treasures in Egypt, for he looked to the reward. So Moses, out of, a, out of compassion for these afflicted people, gave up all his power, all his prestige, all of his wealth, saying he would rather suffer physical affliction and do God's will than enjoy the temporal pleasures of sin. Moses tended the flocks of his father-in-law for 40 years. This is a lonely, low job in the eyes of the world. Can you imagine, from being in the palace in Egypt to being out in the middle of the desert watching a bunch of sheep now, I haven't spent a lot of time with sheep, but I've spent enough to know they're not real exciting animals, okay? And, you know, he's watching these sheep, and that's his job. But you know what? We see that Moses was content. You know what? Godliness with contentment is great gain. And you know what? It's, better to, it's easier to be content in the center of God's will out in the middle of the desert than to be in Pharaoh's house outside of the will of God. Unknowingly, in preparation, God was prayer, preparing him to tend and lead the flocks of his heavenly Father, as he would lead them out of Egypt. Tending sheep again, poor employment, yet he was satisfied with it. He learned meekness. He learned contentment. And it comes from our our, our position with God, not our position with the world. Real quickly, I had a pastor that I worked with in San Jose, and this will give you an idea. We're going to talk about calling tonight. And I want you to think about your own calling while we're looking at this. But. I had a, a, a real close friend of mine who ended up being uh, the other youth pastor with me in San Jose for five years. His name's Rob McCoy. He's the pastor of Calvary Chapel Thousand Oaks now. And I'll never forget when he had a, he had been promoted two or three times at his job, and he was he had a high position with Staples. And he came in and said, "You know what? I don't." He came into Pastor Don and said, "You know, what? I don't care. I know that I'm called to do ministry, and I don't care what you pay me." I, don't, I have a wife and two kids. I know God will provide. Just give me whatever you want to give me, but I just want to do ministry. I don't care about my job. I'm not called to do that anymore. His passion wasn't for making a six-figure income. His passion was to be in the center of God's will. And you know what? At the time, the staff didn't really need a lot. So they paid him a very small amount. Basically, you got to talk about 85% pay cut. 85% pay cut. And he moved into the church in the only place that was available, a little place that had no windows, so if you went in there at noon or at midnight, it was always pitch black, right? And he lived there for like three and a half or four years. And he had the joy of the Lord the whole time he was there. Why? Because it's better to be in the center of God's will. When you're called by God, it never makes sense to the world. You go tell, he went and told his family, who are Christians but not really walking with God, that he was going to quit his job and take a job with an 85% pay cut and move out of his house and go live in a cave, right? Because God told him. And from the world's perspective, you think, this guy's nuts. What's wrong with him? He's called by God. And Moses was called by God. And Moses went out, and he was tending sheep, and it was part of God's preparation. And everything that Pastor Rob went through in his five years in San Jose was preparation. Now he's the pastor of Calvary Chapel Thousand Oaks. And God's blessing it. The church has doubled since he's been there. And you know what, though? All of what he was going through in San Jose was preparation for that. And all of what you're going through right now in your walk with God is preparation for what God has next. Not that you should always be looking to what is next. Be faithful right where you are, but know that God is using this to prepare you for what is next. So we know that, that he was leading this flock. He's leading this flock out. It says in verse 1, In, in search of green pastures to Mount Horeb, which is also Mount Sinai, it says to the mountain of God, and that's in reference to what was about to take place there. So when God came to find Moses, what was Moses doing? Moses was working. You know, a lot of people, You know, and, I, and, I'll be, and I'm, I'm not picking on anybody in particular, but I just want to say this out loud. A lot of people say, well, Jesus didn't have a job, Jesus was homeless, Jesus didn't work. You know what, let me correct you real quick. Jesus was a carpenter for 30 years, well, until he was age 30. Jesus worked, okay, and he was faithful and he he went about doing that work. And then when God called him, as he is God himself, but when God started his public ministry, Jesus went around to every known person in the world, and he didn't take money with him, and he wasn't seeking after money. The Bible does say he had no place to lay his head, but he was called by God to do that. God has never called a man to be lazy, ever. Laziness is a sin. God says, a man who does not work shall not eat. So it is important that we be faithful wherever we are, instead of saying, oh, well, God's coming back, let's go sell all we have, let's go sit up on a mountain somewhere and get a bunch of white robes and grow vegetables and wait till the Lord comes back. That's not what God wants us to do. When God found Moses, Moses was doing the will of his father. He was working for his father-in-law. He was being a faithful and a godly man. And God found him there and used him for his glory. Look at verse 2. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in the flame of fire from the midst of the bush. So he looked and behold, the bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. The angel of the Lord. Virtually, we were just... Ken and I were just talking about this a couple weeks ago. Virtually every time, if not every time, you see angel of the Lord in the Bible. Who is that? It's Jesus. Okay, So the angel of the Lord appeared in the burning bush in Exodus. And who is this? I believe it's Jesus Christ. So Jesus Christ, 2,000 years before he comes to earth, is in the burning bush. It says, The angel of the Lord appeared to him in the flame of fire from the midst of the bush, Now it's interesting to note also that throughout Scripture, when you see fire, quite often it's a representation of God's presence. It's used as God God's judgment. You see fire. God's purification. You see fire. But also His presence. You see fire. Now it'll be interesting to note that when they're traveling through the wilderness, what's going to be leading them? Who remembers? Pillar of fire representation of the presence of God. And so here we see in the midst of this fire the presence of God. And so while we see a theophany here of of Jesus Christ, it could also be said that the entire Old Testament is a testament that points to Jesus Christ being God. No matter where you look, you can look at almost any chapter in the Old Testament and find the gospel. Why? Because it all points to a coming Messiah. So it's a symbol of God's presence. In, In Genesis 19, 18, Mount Sinai was completely in smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire. So the bush was burning, but was not completely consumed. Points to Israel's experience, and ours today, that we can go through difficulties and trials, but you know what? In the midst of them, God is still in control, and you know what? We can be, we can be bruised, but we won't be broken. Amen? We can be, we can be pressed upon, but we're not going to be crushed. Why? Because God is faithful, and God is in control, and God will use it for His glory. Now, it's interesting to note that trial by fire is God's redemptive and purifying preparation for a special calling of service when we go through trials it's preparation for what God wants to do in our life when you're in the middle of the fire I promise you that God is going to use that for his glory some of you we've talked about this some people in, the, in this room you know oh man you know you, and I just talked to Susie Sanford on the phone and you know she's had cancer and she's going through this and we've just watched God do a miraculous work in her and the cancer's completely gone now and she's done with the radiation and we we're just talking about this on the phone and I told her look God had you get cancer for a reason, and I promise you, this is going to be an opportunity for ministry in the future. It absolutely will be. And when we go through difficulties and trials, and we go through the fire, God will use it for His glory. So God manifests His presence in our lives, it will purify us, and it will be preparation for ministry, and we should all be like the burning bush, every one of us. We should be on fire for God, and yet not consumed. Amen? We should be on fire for him, shining brightly. And it's interesting to me that liberal, ungodly scholars who try to explain away the biblical miracles tried to say that, well, it, it was a special plant and it had these, you know, flowers with certain gas, gaseous pods and they all lit up. Oh, would you stop it? You know, why do we try to explain away God all the time? Those are the same people that said, well, the Red Sea, what happened was it was a seasonal time and it was only about, you know, four, six inches deep and that's how they all crossed. Well, here's the problem with both of those arguments. First of all, we know that Moses has been wandering in the wilderness for 40 years, and if there were these fire bushes everywhere, he would not have stopped to look at this one. Amen. And he stopped and he saw this one as we're going to see in verse 3. And if the water was six inches deep, that's an even greater miracle because the Bible tells us that all of the armies of Egypt drowned in the Red Sea after the Israelites got across. They drowned in six inches of water. But see, here's the problem. People are always trying to explain away the Bible. They're always trying to explain away the miracles. Let me just tell you something. God is the God of the universe, the creator, the alpha and the omega, and he can do whatever he wants, however he wants, whenever he wants, because he's God. Amen? And he did miracles then and he's still doing miracles now. And each one of you in this room is a miracle because once you were lost and now you're found, once you were dead in your trespasses and sins, and if you've been born again, you're a new creation in Christ, and there's nothing more miraculous than that. Amen? And so we see here in verse 3, it says that, then Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight. You know, obviously you had not seen it before. I'll see this great sight, why this bush does not burn. So Moses, again, he spent 40 years, he sees this, he's drawn to it, and he goes to see what this burning bush, is all about. So when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Now I want you to see some things here. First of all, I love this. It says, and the Lord saw that he turned aside to look and God called to him. The word Lord there is Yahweh and the word God there is Elohim. Yahweh is singular. Elohim is plural. Who's Elohim? It's a Trinity. It's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Isn't that good? Love the Bible. So it says there that the Lord and there's the Lord and God in the same verse. That there is only one God, and in Him the, the Lord saw that He turned aside to look, and God called and said to Him in the midst of the bush. Now, God has a call upon each one of our lives, but I believe before we will understand our calling, we must experience the presence and the glory of Almighty God. Amen. So often what happens is people academically know about God and then they try to manufacture a calling based upon their own physical attributes and then there's no fruit, right? They judge things from a worldly standard. Let me tell you this. As Christians, you could never take somebody a place you've never been yourself. Amen? If you have not been in the presence of God, you cannot, as a husband, take your wife there or your children there. If you've got a pastor who's never in the presence of God then there's going to be no presence of God on Sunday morning or Wednesday night or whenever the Bible's taught. Amen? You cannot take people where you have not been. So Moses is going to see the glory of God right in front of his eyes. And as he goes and he turns aside to go and seek out the glory of the Lord, the Bible says, seek and you will find. Amen? You're, if you're, People say, well, I've been searching for God for 20 years. No, you haven't. Well, wait a minute. Yes, I... No, you haven't. Because God's not hiding. Amen? And people say, oh yeah, I've been searching. No, you haven't been searching for God. You may have been searching a God of your own creation. You might have been seeking after a God that will let you you know, do what, live your life the way you want to, but you're not truly seeking after the true and living God because if, is it, because if you were, you would have found Him. So it's interesting, again, we must first behold His glory, be filled to overflowing with the Spirit before we can truly impact those around us. Let me ask you a question. Don't answer it. Think about it yourself. When was the last time you were in the presence and the glory of Almighty God? When was the last time you beheld His glory? When was the last time you sat at His feet with nobody else around and just spent time with Almighty God? When was the last time you worshipped Him all by yourself? When was the last time? I want to encourage you. Do it more. You want to know God's calling on your life? You want to sense God's presence in your life? You want direction from God in your life? Get in His presence. Spend time around His throne. Seek after his face and watch what God will do. You know what? God knew that I needed discipline. And so what he did was he made me a pastor. And because of that, I, I don't have a choice. I'm 20 to 30 hours a week, at least in the Bible, studying to teach you guys. So guess what? Because of that, I get to go sit at his feet for all those hours every single week, and I love it. It's one I just absolutely love to study the Bible. It's one of my favorite things in the world. I can't I, I look forward to getting in my car and driving to the church office late on Saturday nights. And if I'm there all it's great. It's a blessing. And you know what? When you're called by God to do something, it's a get to, not a have to. That's another way you know it's a calling. It's not a oh man, I gotta teach those kids again. Is it my turn? Oh man. Oh, maybe we can get someone. That's not a calling. Amen. Oh, you know, oh, I guess I'll put some chairs away. Yeah. You know, well, everybody else is. I better do it. And that's not a calling. That's a have to, not a get to. But because Moses had spent presence, time in the presence of Almighty God, look what happens when he gets into God's presence. I love this. He says, Moses, Moses. God called him by name. I love that. I love that Almighty God knows my name. And he doesn't just know my name, but he calls me by name. That blows me away. Because I don't feel worthy. How about you? Can you believe that? That God loves you enough. He knows the number of hairs on your head. He just knows the number. He's numbered them. He knows everything about you. He'd rather die than live without you. And he calls you by name. And he calls him and he says, Moses, Moses. You know what? I guarantee you that not just once, but many times in your life, God has called you by name. And most of the time, if we all the time, if we don't hear him, it's because we're not listening. Amen? You know what, I'll be honest with you. I can't say that I can count thousands of times, but I know many times when God has very clearly spoken to me and called me by name to do things. There are other times when I'm just, you know, that's still a small voice. You guys know what I'm talking about? The Holy Spirit just prompts you to do something. Go tell that person about me. Have you ever heard that before? right? Go tell them about me. I want, you to, I want you to do this. I want you to do that. But I'll never forget one time when I was in my mid-20s, I'm sitting at a, we had a, uh, a Good Friday service. I'm sitting at the Good Friday service, and afterward we had a time of worship, and I clearly heard God just tell me flat out, Dave, you're going to go, I want you to go and start a church. That's what you're called to do. That's the calling I have on your life. I was already a youth pastor, but God, and there was no question. I went forward ahead of time. We go forward. I just went forward and I was on my face just praying and I heard clearly from God that's what I was supposed to do. Now it didn't happen for many years but God told me ahead of time. He was preparing me for that. And God has called each one of us to do something. God didn't save us so that we can be pew potatoes. We've talked about this, right? God ca- saved us to use us for His glory and He's got a calling on every life in the room. And He will call us by name. Amazing again that the Creator... Now look at Moses' response. What does Moses say? Hear I am. When the Lord called him, he said, Here I am. He didn't say, Wait a minute, now who's this and what do you want and how much does it pay? And, you know, could you give me a little more details on the deal here? But he said, Here I am. It reminds me of Samuel, little boy, and the Lord keeps saying, Samuel. He gets up, goes and talks to Eli, thinking Eli called him. No, no, it wasn't me. Samuel, it's the Lord. And finally, you hear him say, Yes, Lord. And you know what? The, Lord is, the eyes of the Lord search to and fro among the whole earth, searching for those that when He calls us by name will say, Yes, Lord, here I am. Have you ever heard that worship song? Here I am, Lord, use me as you will. Send me, Lord. Send me out to spread the news until. I will go, Lord. I mean, and that's, man, man if, can you imagine what God could do in Santa Cruz County if we all just had that attitude of, Here I am, Lord. Use me, Lord. Send me, Lord. I don't want to recruit you guys into ministry. I want God to call you into it. And that doesn't mean you have to quit your job, to do it full time, though maybe that's what God has for some of you. But He's calling all of us into ministry. When He saved us, He called us to use us for His glory. Here I am, Lord. Use me. Send me out. Make Make me effective for Your kingdom. And it's only when we've turned aside from the cares that so easily ensnare us, when we draw near to God and we behold His glory, that we can respond to His call. That's the only time, you know, if he had just seen the burning bush and went, yeah, looks good. And just kept going. Well, guess what? He wouldn't have been, he would have missed out on the glory of God. What if he'd gone up there and the Lord called him by name and he went, oh, and ran away. You know, sometimes that's what happens. You know, call some, God calls someone by name to do something. Oh, no, 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 no. Didn't, you know, I got to get out of hell free card. It's in my wallet. I'm going to heaven. That's what I want. I just, okay, just leave me alone. Amen. There's people like that. And in a church, we, you know, I want to encourage you. Again, you've been called by God. Be faithful to Him. Don't do it for the glory of men. Don't do it because someone else calls you. Do it because God does. And He said, Here I am. Draw near to Him. He'll show you what He has for your life. Verse 5. Then He said, Do not draw near to this place. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place where you stand is holy ground. Take your sandals off your feet. Now, this is a sign of reverence. And He's in a holy place. And you know what it did? It prevented Moses from rushing into the presence of God. It made him stop, take off his sandals, contemplate where he was, and enter into the presence of God. You know what? I've been guilty of it, and I have a, I have a thought that probably everybody in this room has too, where I've rushed in to the presence of God and rushed out because I'm just too busy. You know, Lord, I, I, I want to pray about this, but you know, I can give you about 45 seconds because you know, I've got something i got to go do. And we run into the presence of God, we tell him we want to tell him, we dump the grocery list on God and we run out. Anybody else else besides me ever done that, right? I mean, you run in, okay, Lord, I prayed, there it is. You know what? That's not what it's about. God wants us to be still and know that he's God. You know what? I'm convicted. If I spent every minute I spent last year watching TV in prayer, what kind of man would I be? Every hour I spent watching the San Francisco Giants or something on TV, if I spent that in prayer instead, not that watching the Giants game is wrong necessarily, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these other things will be added unto you. And he's saying, look, you're coming into a most holy place. When Jesus died on the cross, remember, the veil was torn, and now you don't have to be the high priest, but everyone can enter into the presence of Almighty God. And thank you, Jesus, for that. Amen? We're not dragging lambs in here and slitting throats and sprinkling blood. We're not doing that anymore. Why? Because the price has been paid. Jesus paid it. But sometimes I think we allow that to to make it too light. What do I mean by that? a walk into God's presence anywhere. That's true. But I still believe there should be some fear and some awe and some reverence for God when we sit down in our quiet place, wherever it is, in our prayer closet, wherever God has us, where we just stop and spend time with the Lord. Again, I know that in my own life, as I was studying this, I'm convicted. I need to do that more. Verse 6. Moreover, he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. So God reassures Moses that he is the God of his forefathers. Moses is not going to be bringing some new God to Israel. This is not Joseph Smith and the angel Moroni, right? Well, yeah, I've got a whole new gospel here. Let me show you what it is. There's some golden plates. You happen to lose them, by the way. Real convenient. But then he comes back and he's got this whole new gospel. Well, that's not what's happening here. This is Almighty God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, calling Moses and saying, I'm going to use you. I'm, I'm calling you and I'm going to use you. And he makes it real clear to him it's the God of his fathers. But he's being called by the one true God to fulfill his covenant pro- promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Those of you here in Genesis, what did God promise Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? What did He promise him? He would give them what? Messiah would come from their line. What else? Amen. What else? He'd give them a what? He would enter them into what? A promised land. Covenant in a promised land. Guess what's going to happen? Moses is going to go back and be the deliverer that's going to take them. Now, we know they're going to rebel once they get out there, and they're going to spend a lot of time wandering around the wilderness. But the point is, he's going to deliver them that they might enter into that promised land, and ultimately, they will. So Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. Moses was not afraid to look at the burning bush until he knew that God's presence was there. Once he knew the presence of God was there, the more we see God, the more we desire to, we we will worship Him with reverence and godly fear. And that's the, again, He's my, I'm not, a, I'm not afraid of God, like, oh, you know, he's going to smoke me. I, I, there's, a, there's a reverence for God. He's almighty. He's awesome. He's great. He's mighty. He's powerful. And you know what? There's a reverence for him, and there ought to be in our walk with him. So we've seen here the, the, the glory of the Lord as Moses entered into his presence. And when he entered into the presence of God, what happened? It, it brought him to a place of, of reverence for God. It brought him into a place of of heeding the voice of God, saying, Here I am, Lord. And that's what happens when we enter into God's presence. So we're going to go from the glory of experiencing the glory of God to God's calling on the life of Moses. Look at verse 7. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt, and have heard their cry because they're taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. Now I love this. Moses draws near to God in reverence and fear, and God gives him a clear instruction concerning his call. And as he draws near to God, he hears from the Lord. And look what it says in that verse. It says the Lord has seen, has heard, and the Lord knows. It comforts me to know that the Lord hears our cries. It comforts me to know that He sees what we're going through. It comforts me to know that He He knows my heart. Just as their oppression, cries, and sorrows would bring deliverance from bondage, so too are we in bondage to our sin. And when we cry out to God... He sees us. He sees the sorrow or the repentance of our heart, and He delivers us at that moment when we repent of our sin and ask Him to be our Savior. Verse 8, So I have come now. I've come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians, to bring them up from the land to a good and large land, in the land of flowing with milk and honey, to a place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. So He says, look, I have come, and I'm going to send you, and I'm going to deliver them from bondage, and bring them into the land of promise. That is a picture of salvation. What Jesus did with us when He died on the cross is we were all in bondage to sin. He paid the price for us that we've been delivered from sin, and we will inherit the land of promise in heaven. Amen? And that's what we see right here in the Old Testament. So God came to deliver us just like Moses would come to deliver them. Verse 9, Now therefore, behold the cry of the children of Israel has come to me. I have also seen the oppression from which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come now, therefore, I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. So Almighty God, who could have used any method in the world he wanted, he's God, and it still blows me away that he does this, but he's God, he can do anything he wants. Couldn't God have just opened up the sky and just toasted Egypt? You know what, I'm done with you, Pharaoh, and just toasted them all. He could have done that, but he didn't do that. Why? Because he's a God of grace, he's a God of love, he's a God of mercy, but also, in his infinite wisdom, he chooses to use men. Now, who does he choose to use to be the deliverer? Moses. Now, why was Moses in the desert? Who remembers? What did he do that made him be in the desert? He killed the Egyptian. He was a murderer. So when God showed up, there might have been an extra measure of fear on Moses' part because he'd killed somebody. And he had to flee. And now he's out in the, out in the desert. And I go, okay, it's all good. And, you know, I ain't seeing nobody. Nobody's, you know, it's all, it's okay out here. And at the same time, when God shows up, he had been a murderer. And at the same time, God chooses, in His grace, to use a murderer to be the deliverer who would set the people free from bondage. Moses was being called by God to return to his people more than just a prophet, but truly as a deliverer. While God today could use any method, He still uses people. God could come down to your office tomorrow and write on the wall like He did in Daniel's day, right? Right? Get up a hand, come in the sky and just write on the wall in your office and everybody go, whoa, what's that? You know, and, and it would cause a great stir. God's not, you may, but God's not choosing to do that. You know what God does instead? Puts you there. Amen? Puts you in your office. Why? Because he wants you to be the salt and the light and you're called to be, the, be the, maybe the only Jesus those people will ever see. I want to encourage you that God's got you there for a reason. Nothing happens by chance in his kingdom. So God puts you there and God put, is going to put Moses In Egypt. Now look at Moses' response. This is the sign of somebody's call by God. Look what it says. But Moses said, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh? That I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? You know what? When I truly see the call, and it's not for me to determine this, okay? God does it. But when I know and I identify the calling of God upon someone's life, they always react with humility when they're truly called by God. Always. They're always blown away. They never feel adequate. Who am I that God would use me? Wait a minute. But you don't understand. You don't, I mean, I, 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 man, I I lose my temper sometimes. You know, I'm not perfect. I blow it every single day. Are you sure that you want to use me? You know what? That's the sign of someone who's truly called. The one who, oh yeah, well, I've been waiting for you to come talk to me. About time. Uh, You know, man, what's up with you, man? I, I thought you'd recognize a little sooner the gifts and abilities I have to bless this church. Uh, that, that guy ain't called. Amen? You hear that like, oh, never mind. You know, I mean, no, that isn't it. You look for people who are already functioning, who are already serving that purpose, who are already honoring God. You know, we call people to be elders in our church. We don't go out and find somebody and say, okay, now, now that you're going to be an elder, we need you to change your behavior. They're already living that way and acting that way and called by God. Those who are going to minister in the children's ministry... Or wherever you may be that God's called you to be, it's not that you. Oh, now I'm called to do it. I better change everything. Our heart's already there, and we're humble, and we're blown away at the opportunity that God would give us to be used for His glory. Again, He's He's a fleeing murderer. He's 80 years old. He's a lowly sheep herder. Who am I that you would use me, Lord? But you don't understand. I'm old. I'm 80. I got thrown out of Egypt because I killed somebody. I'm a wanted murderer back there. And, you know, besides this, I stutter. You know, I'm not a good communicator. How are you going to use me? But you know what? Those are the kind of men and women that God will use. Those who seek great places of leadership in the work of the Lord are the ones most unfit to serve, where those who are truly called by God are the ones that consider themselves to be the most unworthy to have that position. You know what? If you don't feel like you're adequate, you're right where you need to be. Amen? If you feel like, oh, but I, 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 I don't have all, you know, I haven't memorized the whole Bible. I couldn't possibly teach a Bible study. You know what? That's right where you need to be. You need to hunger for the Word of God, but know that God wants to use you. Now look what he says, and I want to say this to you as well. So he said to him, I will certainly be with you, and this shall be a sign to you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. What does God say to assure this man who says, who am I? I, I? I can't do it. What does he say? I will certainly be with you. you know, the Bible tells us that without Him we can do nothing. Nothing means nothing. The Bible says I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Amen? So if I'm out there by myself, I can do nothing. But if God is with me, I can do anything. I can do all things. If I'm walking with him. And so his assurance to Moses is, I'm going to be with you. And oh, by the way, Moses, it's already a done deal. It's already done because you're going to be back here with all of the armies of Israel and you're going to worship me on this mountain. You're going to be back. Don't worry, you're coming. And I love with the Lord his sovereignty, it's a done deal. When God says something, it's not maybe it could happen. It's not a good chance it could happen. It's done. It's finished. Amen. With God, it is assured. You will serve God in this mountain. We're almost done. Now look what it says here. I love this verse. Then Moses said to God, Indeed, when I come to the children of Israel, and you say to them, The God of your father has sent me to you. And they say to me, What is your name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, This you shall say to the children of Israel. I am has sent me to you. Now, literally, this I am who I am is a literal rendering of the Hebrew text expressing God's real, perfect, unconditional, independent existence. God exists in a way that no one or nothing else does. He is without beginning or end, and He is the only being who is self-existent. And what I mean by that is, He is the only one that exists, and His existence is dependent upon nothing or nobody else. Amen? Everyone else's existence and All matter's existence and the universe's existence is all wrapped up in Him. Without Him, nothing else would exist. Nothing was made apart from Him. Everything that was made was made through Him. He's the Creator. He's the Alpha and the Omega. He's outside of time and space. He created everything that we see. That's our God. And He says, I am who I am. Not I was, not I will be. I am. He's the great I am. Amen? And He's telling them, That's who I am. I'm I'm the I am. I always have been. Nothing created me, I've always existed. That gives you a headache. Have you ever thought about that? God always has been. Where was He before that? He was there. 50 billion, He was already there. Where was He before He was there? Uh, you get a headache, right? You know why? Because that's finite man trying to understand infinite God. I, you know, I'm a finite man. I will never understand infinite God. My, my, you know, if, if, you're, if you're in here and, you're, you know, and you've got, you're a genius and your IQ is 200, you're a gnat compared to the intelligence of God. Amen? Bible says the foolishness of God is wiser than the wisdom of men. He's he's so much smart. He's so far beyond anything we can understand. That's our God. I am who I am. Tell him I am sent me. Not I was. Not I will be. I am. You know, when it comes to athletics, I'm a I was. You know, I used to be pretty good. I played football and golf. Now was, you know, now I'm a, I'm. You know, I'm a I was. Some of you guys playing softball team seen me run down to first base, man. I'm like carrying a refrigerator down there. I can't run. But you know what? I'm I, but I, the Lord is an I am. He always has been. He always will be. He is awesome, Almighty God. And it, all other existence is dependent upon His uncaused existence. He's infinite. He's a personal being who can only be defined in terms of Himself. Now it's interesting to me. Some other I am statements, real quick. He said, "I am the bread of life." Why? Because He's the only thing that will satisfy us. He said, I am the light of the world. Why? Because everybody walks in darkness. Without Him, there is no light. He said, I am the good shepherd. Why? Because we're sheep being led to a slaughter apart from Him. But He leads us in the way of righteousness. He said, I am the door of the sheep. Why? Because He's the only door within which, the only way we can enter into salvation. He's the door. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. He is the resurrection. He is the life. Apart from Him, there is no resurrection. Apart from Him, there is no life. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Apart from Him, there is no truth. Everything else you seek without Almighty God, being Jesus Christ, being in the center of it is not truth. Ungodly counsel from the world, not truth. Anything else the world has to say, not truth. Every other scientific model. You know, scientists think they're pretty smart. But you know what? Scientists are idiots compared to God. Amen? And you know why they're idiots? Because they keep changing their theories. God never does. Why? Because God knows. He's God. Right? Bible, science doesn't prove the Bible. Bible proves science. The Bible keeps being the same. The science keeps changing. I'm not picking on you if you're a scientist, all right? But here's the reality if you're a Christian scientist, you know, yeah, that's right, we're idiots compared to God. We are idiots, that's true, right? And you know what? We look at things and we just look at the model of what God has done. He said, I am the true vine. We're the branches. We need to abide in Him. Mere words cannot even begin to describe the greatness of our God. I can sit here and talk about how great God is all day. I give you the names of God and we could talk for four hours and still wouldn't describe Him. He's the great I am. You know what? Muhammad, a dead I was. Right? Hard right, Krishna, dead I was. Our God, the great I am. Always has been. Always will be the same yesterday, today, and forever. Moreover, God said to Moses, this, this you shall say to the children of Israel, The God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is, this is my name forever, and this is my memorial to all generations. Go and gather the, er, the elders of Israel together and say to them, The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, appear to me saying, I have surely visited you and seen what is done to you in Egypt. So, he's going to give him clear understanding of what he's supposed to do. He calls Moses, and then He's going to give him clear direction. He tells him, I want you to first go speak to the elders in Israel, and when you're done, then I want you to go speak to the Pharaoh in Egypt. You know what? I believe that God's calling can be that clear in our lives that we will just listen. I believe that the leading of the Holy Spirit can be that clear, that He will tell us that, you know what? There are times when I'm so far away from God, He's yelling at me, and I don't hear Him. Have you ever experienced that? God's, babe,, hey, God, I want you... I'm, I'm, I got, I'm doing my own. Then there's times when you're so close to God, He can whisper your name like this. And you say, yes, Lord. Amen? You know what? That's where, when you're called by God, you're filled with the Spirit of living God. You've spent time in His presence. You're at that constant place where He can whisper and He can use you. You know what? If you're not as close to God as you used to be, who moved? Amen? God doesn't move. We move. We get busy, we get distracted, we walk away. But he's so close that the Lord has given him clear instruction and he says to him, I want you to go and say, I've surely visited what what has been done to you in Egypt and I have said, I will bring you out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, and a land flowing with milk and honey. He says, go back and tell them that the promise that was made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, it's going to happen. Get ready, we're coming. Then he says, I want you to talk to Pharaoh too. Then then it says, they will heed your voice and you will come and the elders of of Israel to the king of Egypt, and you will say to him, The Lord God of the Hebrews has met with us. And now please let us go three days' journey into the wilderness, that we may sacrifice the Lord our God. But I am sure that the king of Egypt will not let you go, no, not even by mighty hand. So he says, look, you're going to go talk to the elders in Israel, and they're going to go, Oh yeah, okay, wow. Praise the Lord. We've been praying for this. This is great. We've been crying out for this. Great. Then you and the elders are all going to go to the Pharaoh, and Pharaoh's going to go, No, you ain't going nowhere. He's telling them ahead of time what's going to happen. But he still wants him to go stand before Pharaoh. He's going to be told no, but I want you to go do it anyway. You know what? Sometimes God is calling us to go do something and we're going to get rejected. But he still wants us to go do it anyway. Amen? It's part of preparation in our own hearts. And it's part of preparation for what God wants to do with the people that we're talking to. Verse 19. Verse 20. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all my wonders, which I will do in their midst. And after that, he will let you go. Now, does this happen later? Is this not prophecy? Isn't God preparing Moses to say, look, you're going to go. You're going to be rejected. Before it's over, though, I'm going to rain down my mighty hand upon them. We know that's the plagues. And before it's over, he's going to let you guys go. Verse 21. And I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians, and it will be that when you go that they shall not go empty-handed. But every woman shall ask of her neighbor, namely of her who dwells near her house, articles of silver, articles of gold and clothing, you shall put them on your sons and your daughters, and you shall plunder Egypt. So he's saying, look, not only is God going to deliver you, but he is going to provide for you. We know that the rough number of people that left Egypt was around 2 million people. Can you imagine moving 2 million people out of a land they had inhabited for 400 years? And God is going to move those people out, and Moses is going to lead them out, in the power of the Holy Spirit, led by God. And God is going to provide for them by plundering from the Egyptians. And he's telling them beforehand, this is exactly what's going to happen. And you know what? God has called us to a lot of different things, and God has assured us of things that will happen. And what's interesting to me is that Moses saw this beforehand, knew it was coming, and it happened. And you know what? How many of you have been paying attention to what's going on in the Middle East? Tell me that's not the Bible. You read the Bible, look at the Middle East. Every time I watch it, I go, oh, man, come quick. We may not have Wednesday service. We might be in glory for Wednesday service, right? I mean, and praise the Lord, because you look at the Bible, and it's so clear. And this is what happened with Moses. God told him, here's what's going to happen. Here's the order it's going to happen in. Be ready. You know what? God has told us in the book of Revelation that it's all going to come down to what's going on in the Middle East. There's gonna, and, and you know what? It's not going to get better. It's going to get worse. Amen? Now, there'll be a time of peace and safety after we're out of here. For a short amount of time when the Antichrist rises to power. But the reality is that we already know the beginning from the end. And as we see that the time is short, isn't it even more important that we heed the calling that God has on our lives? Amen? I mean, we don't know, we don't have a promise the next week. Shouldn't we be faithful to whatever God's called us to do? The worship team will come up. Let me summarize real quick. The revelation of God's glory to Moses, until we've experienced God's glorious presence and seen Him for who He truly is, we will not be able to be used by God the way He desires to. Until you spend time on your face with the Lord, until you spend time daily in His presence, until you know, you've experienced that closeness with God, you cannot take someone else to a place you've never been yourself. Second of all, God's call on, on Moses and His humble response. God is not looking for ability. He's looking for availability. He's not looking for how educated you are. God doesn't call the equipped. He equips the called. He doesn't go, oh, you've got a THD doctorate from such and such. Oh, you better be a pastor. You know, and that could be the case, but sometimes that just means you went to school a long time, but that doesn't mean you're called by God. Amen? And you know what? That's just, when, when I look for people in ministry, I look for the heart. You know why? Because God looks at our heart. Amen? Man looks on the outward appearance. God looks on the heart. He calls us by name. And then He equips us and leads us to fulfill His calling. And then lastly, we see God's clear direction. God in His sovereign and faithfulness, when we seek His presence, He clearly shows us what's next. The Holy Spirit is not the author of confusion. If you're confused about something, that's not God. People come to me, well, I'm praying about whether I should marry this person. But I'm really confused. Don't marry him until you stop being confused. Amen? Oh, oh I'm, I'm confused about if I should take this job. Don't take it. Holy Spirit is not the author of confusion. Go spend some time around the throne of God. Seek His face. Touch His glory. Get, get near to Him. And watch when He pours Himself out upon you. He'll give you wisdom. He'll give you direction. He'll show you what He has for your life. That's the God we serve. Aren't you glad He's not a far away, distant God, but He's a God called Abba Father. We can crawl into His lap, which means Daddy, and we can be near to Him. He so desires to minister to us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank You and we praise You, Lord, and I just pray for each one of us that you would just reveal to us the calling you have upon our lives. That, Father, we would draw near to you. It says in your word, if we draw near to you, you will draw near to us. Father, may we just stop and be still and spend time in your presence and wait upon you. And, Lord, may we just listen to that still, small voice every single day as you guide and lead and direct. Lord, we love you. We praise you. We thank you for your love and your grace. We ask, Father God, that you would just go before us now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and worship.